there, playlisters. It's the holidays. And if you're anything like me, you ate and drank like Rome was burning over Thanksgiving. And to ease your way back into this runway up to Christmas, can I recommend a bitters and soda? It's a great low to no alcohol drink that really uses the seasonal flavor profile mixed with the fall autumnal palette du jour. So pour a glass, get a little bit smarter with some young congressional leaders under the age of 45, and tune in for another episode of Welcome to Political Playlist. All right, are we ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> that up so oh bad. Um, hey, everybody, and welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Muskie Goldwyn. And I'm Ethan Barquette. Wow. Well, clearly you're coming from a spelunking cave or a submarine because, boy, the acoustics are tinny over there. How do you know I'm on a submarine? I just, I. That's national, that's national securities. Oh, no. oh, he's the, <laughs> he's the sole survivor of the Titanic. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, that's so weird. I'm sorry, Anna. That's so weird. He just said that. Texted on saying. Insert photo of the musicians on the Titanic singing, <laughs> singing with you. <laughs> oh, man. Wild. Well, hopefully everybody had a great holiday. I, I believe everybody was traveling on this podcast. We thought it would be fun because we've had a couple of recent episodes where we had an interview. Actually, we had two interviews and we kind of focused on very specific things and didn't really cover a lot that was going on. So today's kind of like a grab bag, mail bag. We might call it a holiday punch bowl or eggnog type of thing where we're going to give you a lot of things. We're going to just sort of cover them a little bit and we're going to have some fun. So that's that's the scoop here. You guys, you guys down for that? This is the eggnog episode. Yeah, this is the eggnog. I love that. I don't know what um, that really means because I feel like eggnog is pretty specific. It's not like grab bag but we can go with it well you can put a lot of liquors with eggnog. okay okay like okay. you can put yes, rum. Yes. yeah yeah you can put rum in it you can put bourbon you can put scott Got it. Like, take your pick i should never i should never question <laughs> anything alcohol related from either of you yeah well in any event i have something that's on my mind which i think you guys might find interesting and i think our listeners may as well so Obviously, we've we've covered to varying degrees on recent episodes the war in Gaza, and we obviously anyone following social media or the news is seeing just how polarizing and in times divisive even just having this conversation can be. And so I we had a listener who who sent me directly on Instagram. I won't give the name of of their account because I, I don't know if they want that or anything, but I want to sort of say a few things about what they sent me. They they sent me a DM. They're clearly of Palestinian descent or or maybe a first generation actual from Palestine. And so they sent me I want to sort of first commend them because they sent me a very thorough and very smart and level-headed response to a clip that we had posted. And so I think, you know, when we head into the holidays and we're around family, I think it's really important that we consider the tenor of our conversations that we have with even family, but even just friends and, and strangers. So I want to commend this person for for the tenor of their conversation. And I think that I want to sort of read you a few things that they were saying. They said, 
I, I'm confused what your background knowledge is on the situation in terms of taking refugees. This was in response to a clip we had posted where I was saying, I think that Rashida Tlaib and other vocal Palestinian members of Congress need to, you know, do a better job of leading the conversation and pressuring these neighboring countries to accept refugees in this crisis. And so, you know, she went on to say, I sincerely hope you've done some reading and know that Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt are full of Palestinian refugees. I hope you also know that when a Palestinian accepts citizenship in another country, they have lost their right to return under national law. She goes on to say that your argument essentially is supporting the the dispossession of Palestinian land. And while these talking points seem harmless, they do promote ethnic cleansing that has gone back since the 40s. So I wanted to, you know, what's on my mind is I think what this person is sort of conflating is is a few things here. You know, um, since this war in Gaza began, Jordan and Egypt have, you know, as of November, have not been accepting Palestinian refugees. And my argument was, you, you know, in this situation that we find ourselves in, I don't believe that Rashida Tlaib is helping the Palestinian people by saying, going after Israel and saying they need a ceasefire or whatever. I believe that she would be doing much more service to these people in the interest of helping these innocent Palestinian people who are in this awful situation, immediate relief and safety, you know, by helping to, you know, broker so that they could go to safety in Egypt and Jordan. And so what I'm not saying is that they should just become citizens of there and and renounce their their citizenship to Palestinian lands by by any means. I'm simply referring to the fact that these people need to get to safety somehow. And again, that is not condoning what's going on there or the magnitude of, of the response or anything. It's just a, a, a dollars and cents kind of thing that, you know, these these people need to go to safety. Is he saying that? I think she was saying so, and yeah. she was saying and it sounds like she was saying in the past. There have been yes. a lot of Palestinian refugees in Egypt and Jordan, which is true. And I think what Michael yes, is just trying to clarify yeah. is that since the conflict, this specific conflict began, Correct. there has not been, you know, Palestinian refugees going. The one thing that I would say, though, is that Correct. Egypt now is allowing Palestinians into the country specifically for medical treatment and families of people who need medical treatment. So I don't think that we should say they're not doing anything now i think that this, when we recorded that episode correct. they yeah, weren't this, but now yeah. they are allowing but they still but they in. still have not they've been allowing palestinians with american passports in and, and they have people been, who need severe medical treatment they have been very very closed borders for the most part yes you're right they have they have been letting in some but you know my point is i think what this person is sort of conflating here is that yes back in 1948 during the war surrounding the the formation of Israel, there were about 700,000 Palestinians displaced. About mm -hmm. half of them went to Jordan and then became citizens there. So, mm -hmm. so I think, you know, we are, to be fair, we're talking about different things. And what I was saying was just the immediate need to help these people and get them out of danger. Mm -hmm. And so, Anna, to your point, that seems to be starting to happen now. And I think that members of Congress like Rashida Tlaib could 
you know, could really be of more help in getting these people to safety, not getting them to become citizens of these places or permanently relocating. Mm -hmm. This is merely a get them out of the burning building so that Mm -hmm. we can then, you know, keep them alive. Totally. So um, I think I think that's good. I think that people should, like you said, thinking about the tenor of the conversation and when you shared that message, it just it made me realize like that there are really intelligent ways to talk about the complexities of the issue. And obviously, this person has a very different background than all of us do and has a very different perspective because of that background. And I think talking about it in a way that is, you know, not trying to sort of clarify and if if needed, educate, but not chastise or argue or try to say that someone doesn't give a shit when right. they obviously do. I think this person avoided those pitfalls and I totally. Them. And by the way, I have a question for them, too, which is that, you know, I'm you know, just advocating for what I think is a reasonable, rational, hey, let's get these people to safety. But mm-hmm. I'm curious if the Palestinian people view, you know, going to another country as a refugee, however temporarily, as part of the issue that yeah. is that something that they're against? Is that a negative talking point as far as what they are striving for as well as i think and i think part of the country. point that she was making was like that they've done a version of that in the past and mm-hmm. it has been not viewed well in history specifically right. by the palestinian people so even though you're not advocating for them to be completely relocated i think that like saying to a palestinian person we're going to bring you to this other country yeah it's only going to be temporary I wonder how much distrust there is for that narrative right. given the past. Yeah. No, good, good question. Well, um, I have something on my mind that's yeah. totally different, maybe equally depressing. But all right, my, this is on my mind. First is a question that might be kind of a heavy one, but do you guys think that you will be better off than your parents? Ooh, that's a great question. Better off. Let me tell you what I don't think our generation is going to have are Social Security and Medicare. Mm -hmm. So if you look at those as, you know, those social safety nets, I think by the time we're of age, we will not share in those same sorts of social programs. Mm -hmm. Do I think we are better? We are ultimately going to be better off. I do think that we're of a technological technology age, technological age, that is seeing vast improvements and enhancements to how we build things and how we go about our lives and, and work. And, and so I, I think all of the you know concerns about AI notwithstanding, mm-hmm. I do think that we as a current society and moving forward have far more tools than our parents. Mm-hmm. Anthony? That's a big word for my father. <laughs> a lot. Cool. Technically oh, sounded it out. <laughs> I, I, was, I was kind of laughing while Michael was talking because I definitely had this conversation with my parents over mm. Thanksgiving. Oh, really? Well, one, as it relates to homes. And mm. me living in Denver now, I mean, people are spending, you, you know, homes have increased like three times in value. And when you look at what's available to buy, it's, 
you know, not great quality, very small, not new, not new product. It's old. Um, and you know, a lot of the areas that were considered, you know, still nice was affordable. And I don't think that's affordable for our age anymore, which I think is the sad thing. So I'm like, are we going to go buy property in Nebraska? Is that going to be a cool spot? I don't know. So I think that's scary. With uh, Michael, though, I really believe in technology. I mean, working at a tech company now, and I think that is going to be the savior for her future and help with issues that we're facing today. But it's pretty bleak where we are today, where there's two wars going on in the world. I was in California for Thanksgiving. Gas prices were six. Oh yeah, that's insane. I'm so glad I don't have. That's why I have an electric well, vehicle here, people. All right, Mr. Tesla, let's relax. Um, There's, I saw I saw a bumper sticker on Instagram. It was somebody with a it was a photo of a Tesla, and it, the bumper sticker said, "I bought this before Elon was fucking crazy." <laughs> it was great. So I bring this up because I read that in a new poll, this is respondents of our parents' generation and potentially of Gen X of people younger than us, but 19% of respondents said they, only 19% of respondents said they are confident that their kids' generation will be better off than their own. And that's a record low in the 33 years this question has been recorded. So that, it's interesting because I think that's from like a parent's perspective. And that is pretty scary to think about only 19% of the parents in, I assume this is America, think that their kids will be better off. it's interesting to think maybe hearing your guys' responses, like the kid percentage might not be as low, maybe because we are more in tune with technology and see the changes that that might make, even if we won't benefit from things like housing or social services and stuff like that, that we will benefit from other things. But I just thought that was really interesting. And it was this whole it was this whole bit about like belief in the American dream. And it made me think like it's kind of like is the American dream changing you know like the version of the american dream now just might be different and the tagline it used is that it used to be this thing that said like if you work hard you'll get ahead and i think what our generation and people younger than us are questioning is what does it mean to get ahead like is it financial is it happiness is it health is you know whatever the definition of that is different for everybody but i think generationally we're like grappling with what that means and what that looks like. And specifically, I think for this poll, I think a lot of parents at least are thinking about it in a financial sense, which. Well, and and just to piggyback off of what Anthony was saying, I do think that there is this seismic disparity with real estate holdings among millennials. And a lot of that, I think, is a factor or, or a result of enormous student loan debt that that $200,000 or thereabouts is what would go to a down payment on a house. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing our generation be the sort of generation of renters, you know, particularly in big cities like California and Los Angeles, which was voted the second most expensive city in the country, right? It's like in order to, there was a funny like Instagram meme going around where it was the house from home alone. And it was like, you know, this guy was like a $150,000 a year, you know, middle manager. How the fuck is he affording this palatial, <laughs> you know, suburban brick house? 
and you know it it's it's one of those things that's like funny because it's really true right now that in order to buy a house you have to like have so much money <laughs> and it's it's like it's unbelievable so to your point about like i think the definition how younger generations are beginning to define the american dream yeah. is is shifting quite a bit totally yeah well you anthony what's on your mind you just need a lot of money to go out to dinner yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah i mean with the yeah, amount that you guys it. the amount that you guys go out to dinner yeah yeah and let me just We're say the job. price the price of a 10 piece nugget at mcdonald's is now 650 that's insane <laughs> that's insane you want to keep your gas i want my nuggets to be a little low okay oh my god Oh, still love a chicken nugget. What can I talk about Kim okay, now? Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's talk about something uplifting. Great. Because I am going to say this again. I think we've all said this. I fucking love Andy Kim. Andy Kim. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Andy Kim, Congressman 41 from New Jersey, used to work for Obama, a Democrat in his third term. He became kind of went viral, became famous after January 6th for picking up trash in the Capitol. Now he has announced that he's running for Senate against Senator Menendez, who is now currently under investigation, which is amazing. Mr. Gold Bar. For gold. For the gold bars and cars. And that is incredible. Fantastic. Thank you for taking advantage of the system. Yeah, at least do it in Bitcoin where they can't fucking trace it, bro. I know. I was like, right. aren't, aren't the people we're electing today? But Andy Kim actually really just like officially launched early November. He announced in September he was going to do it, but he had his launch party early November. And this is just to show the type of guy Andy Kim is. And I'm sure this was staged, but he gives his speech on a like a pallet, you know, like a wood pallet, like at a bar with like 250 people there. Like that's any kid. That's like, awesome. Yeah. Just throw those pallets up there. We'll yeah. It. It's great. I'm a short guy. <laughs> the race, he raised a lot of money already over $2 million, 1 million in the last week, but the race is pretty crowded. Here is a fun fact. Here's two fun facts. One, New Jersey has never elected a Republican senator in like 50 years. I think there's about eight people officially running, but his main competitor, who he's 40 points ahead of, is the governor, current governor's wife. Oh, wow. I did see that. Yeah. Okay. Phil Murphy's wife. Yes. Paul Murphy's wife. Phil, Phil Murphy. Uh, Phil Murphy. Yeah. Phil Murphy. Get your New Jersey politics straight. Yeah. You're an insult to my home state. Phil, Paul. Wow. Um, Born in NJ, huh? Her name is Tammy Murphy. Honestly, sounds like a boss. How's it going, she Tam? You saw her at Goldman Sachs. Yeah. And then she's chair of the professional women's soccer team in New York, the Gotham League. Uh-huh. The Gotham, yes. So what she has is everyone saying in articles is money, endorsements, and name recognition. Yeah. And she's actually got big endorsements more than Andy Kim. From state senators, assembly members, and county Democratic officials, which makes sense, obviously, with like her connection with her husband and what she's been doing over the years she's been governor. But uh, I, want, I, I encourage everyone to watch a video of Eddie Kim talking about his campaign because he's just a no bullshit guy. 
here's my pitch. He's confident in a non-talky way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's my pitch for Andy Kim. Okay. Campaign spot. It's Andy in front of the blue suit in the Smithsonian, which was the suit he used to clean up the damage of the Capitol. Chan six. He walks out and he's like, I'm Andy Kim. This is the suit I wore to clean up the Capitol. And as Senator of New Jersey, I'm going to clean up corruption. Boom. Spot. The spot sells itself, guys. I mean, I'm, I got chills. Right yeah. There. Go get right? yourself as a, a job over there. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. I'm going to piggyback on that and talk about another one of the young politicians we cover who's making some some big moves. This is none other than Abigail Spamberger herself. Oh, wow. A very centrist Democrat from Virginia who is now, she's in the House, who is now running for governor of Virginia in 2025. And this is very important because, A, it means that she won't seek re-election into the House next year. And that means that her seat, which is a very competitive purple seat, will be a really tough job for Democrats to hold on to. Did she already have to declare that she's not running? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And what is interesting about this is that there's obviously some sort of calculation that went on, right? Like her seat in 2022 was one of the people it was called like one of the bellwether seats that it was if democrats can hold on to this seat it is meaningful for sort of how the country is feeling at large so she knows that and she knows Mm -hmm. how important her seat is she is choosing to leave that seat and i think that the reason she's doing it is because she feels that glenn youngkin is who is the current republican governor of virginia is gaining a lot of political ground and clout. And I think because of the real MAGA movement, Glenn Youngkin is sort of pseudo positioning himself as a centrist, which he's very much not. He's a very conservative politician. And Abigail, on the other hand, is a very legitimately centrist Democrat. And so she's campaigning on things that are very popular, like lowering prescription drug costs, growing the middle class of Virginia and easing inflation. But she specifically is taking aim at Youngkin and his administration and the Republicans in Virginia State House and Senate for focusing on what she says, banning abortion and books. And I think that she's betting her money on the fact that there are a lot of independents and potentially moderate conservatives in Virginia who do not agree with a bigger abortion ban in Virginia. Virginia is currently the only state in the South where a woman can get an abortion after six or 15 weeks. And I think that she's making a bet on herself that there are people in Virginia who think that the sort of cultural issues that Republicans are focusing on are not going to be winnable issues statewide. And if Virginia elected a Democratic governor, that would be a really big fucking deal. And in the 2022 cycle, she raised over $9 million for a House seat, which is a huge amount of money for a House of Representatives campaign. And so she has very big fundraising, not just in Virginia, but nationally, potentially for this governor's race. And, you know, I think it's a gamble for sure for Democrats, but obviously she has aspirations. So go her. These are two Democrats, I think, that are actually... Very desirable candidates from both sides. Totally. From both sides. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I see a lot of Republicans actually looking at them and saying, yes, I want you in this higher seat. Yeah. You know, I, these are two politicians. I hate giving my politicians, but these would be two I would absolutely give to. I think what's also interesting too about Abigail Spanberger and, and particularly how she's going to 
market herself in this race. You know, she is very much a, a centrist Democrat, more or less. And Glenn Youngkin was sort of seen as a centrist Republican until recently when it does seem like his own presidential aspirations have pushed him further right on particularly a lot of these social issues. And so it will be interesting to see if those people who maybe were for him, you know, if people recall, he beat out Terry McAuliffe, who is a Democrat. And so the state has sort of been flipping a little bit. And it'll be oh, interesting yeah, to I see. I said Virginia's never had a Democratic governor. That was false. They have yeah, Terry they have. McAuliffe. And so they, you know, I didn't mean to low-key fact check you. It no, was, that, thank you great. for saying that. I completely <laughs> forgot. Uh, but my point is, is that, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see as the as she enters the race, what that does to Youngkin, right? And mm-hmm. and does does it pull him back closer to the center or does it push him further? Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see. All right, Michael, what hot tea you got All for right. us? I want to talk about our boy, Mark Wayne oh Mullen. This and situation. It's incredible. And I also have a fun personal story about this. So then can I just really yeah. just interrupt you? You just introduced that. Have anyone seen White Chicks? When I, you want to talk about my mom? <laughs> White Chicks reference. So Mark Wayne Mullen, in, in, a, in another episode of Real Senate Husbands from the Pension and Labor Committee hearings, Mark Wayne Mullen is a senator and from Oklahoma. And it should be noted that he is a former MMA fighter with a record of 5-0, and by the way. So he is in this Senate hearing, and the head of the Teamsters is a guy named Sean O'Brien, who is a Boston guy, okay? And Sean O'Brien is a very large, bald-headed gentleman who looks like he's the head of the Boston Teamsters. Like, central casting cannot get a better guy for this role, okay? So Sean O'Brien... Let, let, let me just set up the, the players in the context of this. Okay, Sean O'Brien treat, tweets out, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. This is in reference to Mark Wayne being a, a small business owner. In reality, just a fraud and a clown. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Anytime, anyplace, cowboy. So Mark Wayne reads this in the Senate here. And he says, well, now's the time and a place. And Sean O'Brien's like, all right, let's go. And he's like, all right, let's go. And he's like, make a move. And you make a move. And it did this whole thing for like, you know, a few back and forth until Mark Wayne like stands up and like he's going to fight this guy to which Bernie Sanders, like of all people, you know, grabs the microphone. Grabs Sit down. Him, you like, are a United States senator. You are a United senator. States senator. Yeah, literally. And so this and Sean O'Brien. Mean, mean well done, Anna. Yeah, that was great. That was really My good. Bernie impression pretty good. That was very good. Sit um, down. You are a United States senator. Oh, that's actually incredible. <laughs> that's really good. Just wow. They should have me on SNL. I look just so, like so. Um, you know, I think that this is just the hilarity of where our politics is right now, and I think that you know and this like is the sadness. If I can just add, yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, like Jesus it's really Christ, funny, really? but it's like. And yeah. subsequently, Mark Wayne has used this now. He's doubling down. He's going on Fox News. He's going back to his state being like, this is how we stand up for the people of Oklahoma. Like, I'm never going to back down, blah, blah, blah. So 
Here's my Sean O'Brien story. I have met Sean O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Have I told you guys this before? You did once it happened. You told us you've met him. Oh, yeah. So I, I forgot. So remind me. I produced a movie in Boston, and this was maybe about 2014. And one of our producers on the film was this older, experienced veteran producer who knew all the unions and everything. So we were a smaller budget film, and we needed to get a reduction in how many Teamsters we had to use. So this producer called up the head of the Teamsters, Sean O'Brien, and said, hey, it's me, you know, so-and-so. Like, And he was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like, come see us, come see us. So me and, and the producers go down to Charlestown, Massachusetts, which if you've seen the town, you know Charlestown is fucking gangster. All and the so, Irish Catholics. Yeah. And so literally the, the, the offices are in Charlestown. We go in with, with Sean O'Brien and he is exactly as advertised. He spends 20 minutes talking with our veteran producer and then looks at the other young idiots and he's like, are you boys learning anything here or what? And we were like, oh, my God. Hello, Mr. O'Brien. Yes, sir. And meanwhile, he like turned out to be like a super nice guy. Definitely would not fuck with him by any stretch of the imagination. He gave us a break on our Teamsters. He totally hooked it up. Boston Teamsters are the fucking best. Let me go on record as saying that. And I know, Mark Wayne, you're a you're an MMA fighter. But good God, my money is on Sean O'Brien on this one. <laughs> so that's my hot take. That's a big, that's a big bet. Yeah. yeah. If you want odds, if anyone wants odds, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sean honestly- O'Brien all day. That whole thing like made for really good fodder, but it made me really yeah. like annoyed at the state of our union because I think that a the fact that someone like Sean O'Brien is getting so enraged about you know what is happening that he is using his platform to do that. I feel like the fact that we're driving people in leadership positions outside of the government to that point is messed up. And then the fact that a Republican senator can not like contain himself to a take it as a joke or ignore it or whatever, like to let his buttons be pushed like that is just so insane. And I think also like feeds into I'm just going to say this as the woman here, this like insane, like toxic masculinity of government and specifically in the Republican Party, I think that we're seeing. And this leads into the next point that I want to make if you can guess what it is, but that I feel like specifically amongst this credo of men tends to be Republican, but not solely. There is this sudden like dick measuring contest that, in my opinion, has no place in politics. And unfortunately, that started with Trump. Obviously, it has been happening for a long time, a little bit more veiled, but the kind of like machismo and like whoever can sort of stand most broadly against the other is the winner, I think is just dumb. And also, just a quick uh, correction, Anna, I'm so sorry. You can't say dick measuring anymore. It's male uh, appendage assessment. Fine. Yeah. Penis. Uh, I, don't, I don't like going about the Penis honest. comparison. <laughs> it's, it's very large. This brings me to one thing that I want to say, and I honest to God, when I say this, I don't want to harp on it because it doesn't even deserve our attention. But the best example of this, other than Mark Wayne Mullen literally standing up trying to fight someone in the Senate, is the fact that 
Gavin Newsom challenged, and this is what I say, it's both sides. Yeah. Gavin Newsom seemingly jokingly challenged Ron DeSantis to a debate. And then- Oh, Boots? Ronnie now Boots? they're for actually going to debate tomorrow night. Today's Wednesday, Thursday night. And it basically, they're supposed to be- Sean Hannity is moderating the debate, by the way, which I think is very interesting. But they're basically supposed to be debating like their leadership styles and like which state has sort of better policies and which departments, California or Florida, who are seen now as sort of these like token red and blue states, whatever. And we don't even need to go into the details because everyone kind of knows what that conflict is. But like the the fact, A, that Gavin Newsom did this was, yes, a political move to be like, hey, I want to get the same kind of attention that someone like Trump or DeSantis are trying to get amongst Democrats that they're getting amongst Republicans. But no one's freaking dumb enough to think that Gavin Newsom doesn't also want to like get up there and do his little, you know, the I would literally always talk about this, but the <laughs> birds of paradise and planet Earth who are like flapping around the males yeah. like, look at all of my colorful feathers. Yeah. And, like, let me show like how great of a mate I can be. <laughs> and it's this like biological yes. Like he's trying to mate with America. Yes. Just like we don't fucking need. And so it drives me nuts that Newsom perpetuated that. It drives me even more nuts that DeSantis like pushed back on it. And well, I couldn't agree debate. less. I am so but excited so for this. Excited. I love the the, the feathers and the shouting. And yeah, it's it's going to be great. I've got my popcorn. Speaking of, speaking of, speaking of oh, bows yeah. and Botox. I mean, let's yeah. just move Probably on and talk really. about, let's <laughs> just move on and talk about a man who's really flapping his feathers. I mean, yeah. this is machismo in a slightly different mm. way, right? Like the George Santos thing is basically, the vote is going to happen probably tomorrow, Thursday when this airs. So and he's like, already said, he's like, by the time you listen probably to this, gonna get rid he of might, yeah, by the time you listen to this, he'll probably be gone. But the underlying nature of it is insane already. And actually, one of the people, two of the people who are responsible for introducing this resolution are on our platform. One is Democrat mm. Robert Garcia, who introduced a a resolution from the Democrats. And then on the other side is Republican Anthony Desposito, who is a New York Republican. And the real push in the, <laughs> the, the Republican Party has really been coming from New York Republicans who are like, we need to get this guy out of here because he's going to totally fuck up the gains that we made in 2022. And I mean, look, should we each just name one ridiculous thing that George Santos spent <laughs> campaign funds on? Anthony, you go oh, Horrible I mean, half zips. <laughs> yeah, it also has to be the OnlyFans. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like what is he that's, doing on OnlyFans? That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, my favorite was the Botox because if you look at his face in interviews, they're like, so it's like so, so bad. Old, like, yeah. like smooth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the, I'm gonna go with the Prada bags. I think that's a nice touch. Was it Prada and Hermes? Oh yeah, whatever, was whatever it, yeah. the bags were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't rise with the that. that. <laughs> Honestly, necessary good taste, for good taste. That's maybe the everybody, only thing he had taste in. It's like everybody yeah, needs a good messenger bag for their campaign to hit the oh. campaign trail. One interesting thing I want to add about this, though, is that the new speaker, Mike Johnson, reportedly is not actually telling Santos to resign, mm. but he's saying to him that a resignation would prevent a very difficult vote for Republican lawmakers, to which Santos is saying, 
I don't give a shit. They can kick me out. So, yeah. What do you think the political strategy is if there or legal strategy, if there is even a, a whiff of one here for Santos? I mean, he's clearly not, doing no. the Donald Trump like deny, deny, deny. Yeah. But the thing, thing. is, Donald Trump had decades of infrastructure right. around him to shield right. him from whatever he did or didn't do. Santos is like a whoever and did all this shit without getting some fall people to take right. fall for him. So the expulsion rule required two thirds to pass. People seem to think that that is going to happen. Um, Democrats certainly will not save him this time like they did last time before the evidence came out. So it's really going to come down to the Republicans. Who is his staff that is like still working for him? It's wild. Like someday I hope there's like a movie made about him because I think it's so funny. And by the way, I, I do think it's worth noting that in previous votes to expel him, and which both failed. There was this sort of party line that a lot of Democrats, including Jamie Raskin, who, you know, said this very vocally that, you know, let's see how the ethics report plays out. You know, he has not been convicted of anything. Yes, he's been charged, but let's see what the ethics findings are because it's a bad precedent to get rid of somebody just because we think there's yeah. this stuff going on. And so but now they're all saying the evidence is out. Right. Yeah. And and I think we're also conflating two things or, or rather he and his if he has any supporters are conflating two things, which is like they're trying to say, oh, well, in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. Yes. In a court of law. This mm-hmm. is not a court of law. This is an elected official. And the ethics report came out saying you're corrupt as fuck. Yeah. So what you do for an official that is corrupt as fuck is you vote them out of the governing body. Whether there are legal ramifications that follow is a matter of our courts in which you are indeed innocent until presumed or innocent. Yeah. Until, until guilty, pre- you know, proven guilty. Presumed innocent so, until proven guilty. Yeah. So yeah. sorry, Georgie. Lady George going down yeah. with the ship. He's he is not not looking great. Not All right. Does anyone have a last call? And then I'm going to go celebrate Billy's birthday. Wait, he's not looking great with his. I mean, he's looking great, but he's not looking great. You know? Yeah. He looks like somebody inflated one of those latex rubber gloves and then sharpied some sharpied some fucking. Yeah. Sharpied some Stanley Tucci glasses onto him. Like, okay, here's my last call. And my last call is going to be that we have an Iowa caucus coming up on January the 15th. And the question that I want every listener to think about is ultimately this is going to decide where the Republican Party is is going. And so we've seen lately that there is a huge surge for Nikki Haley. She has more money now than DeSantis, which I think is very interesting given that DeSantis is now leaning into this debate with Newsom. It'll be interesting to see how that affects his performance going into Iowa. And Nikki Haley now is is really tied with him in Iowa. He has received the endorsement of Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, which arguable how much that'll make a difference. But she's really seen as as now the the great hope for Republicans who are against Trump. And so really, there is now a stronger light of a pathway for her, and that is coming in second in Iowa and then winning New Hampshire, which she has put a lot of money in. And then there's a month from the New Hampshire primary to the South Carolina primary, 
where that's her home state. So the fundamental choice that I think the Republican Party is faced with right now is, are they going to be this, you know, suicide pact party that is going with the MAGA ship down or or afloat, whatever that ultimately may be? I would say MAGA is going down. But uh, or are they going to return to this sort of classical conservative party that they all like to tout as the party of Reagan? And I think the future of the Republican Party is really going to rest on Nikki Haley in this primary. And so it's going to be very fascinating to watch. I agree. But I'm just going to say in that last mm. call, I could have had like 10 drinks. It, well, you know, we just like to get our patrons well, well served before they head on home. And, and Nikki Haley just got endorsed by the Coke. The Coke mm-hmm. network. Yeah. Well, more importantly, she's got that Coke money, money, Coke baby. money, money bag, money bag, okay. Nikki. But be more saying she's going to be the VP to Trump. No, no, no I think he doesn't like her. These, I'm always amazed at these deals people make at the end where I'm like, she's not going to, she's not going to pass the loyalty test with him. No, he's going Christy Nome, the governor of Dakota. Mm-hmm. So here, here was something sad though, last on the mind with this is. I mean, last call. I was talking. God, you can't even get our sex straight. Jesus. Yeah. But, but I, I was, I was talking to someone about this and depressing because we were i was reading something on workforce today and everyone's not happy with their jobs upset and there's tons of benefits going on and people are getting paid high amounts so it's really not the money part and i actually think the election part has to do with it like we have two people who are likely going to be our front runners here right oh, no one likes and wrong who no one like it's not giving a hope to any mm-hmm. That that's going to put our country in the right direction. And I think that is weighing on a lot of people and how they're affected in their work. So I'm going to go on, go out on that limb and see. I agree. I'm with you on that. Ugh. But you know what? I'm going to go celebrate my fiance's birthday. So Hey, happy birthday. That's some good news. She can't get out of here quick enough. I would like to leave. 